Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is Abdul Nasser Jengda, and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. The Qalam Podcast has become an important part of people's lives all around the world. There are millions of people benefiting from the podcast every single day. Thousands of hours of content, dozens of different series from all the different teachers and scholars here at Qalam. All of this is delivered to the community free of charge. We are excited and actively working to grow and increase our efforts to deliver more and more benefit to the community. We ask you to support our efforts and become part of the Qalam family. Please go to qalamfamily.com and sign up to contribute to this Sadaqa Jariyah on a monthly basis. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us Jazakumullahu khairan wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah alladhi anzala ala abdihi al-kitaba wa lam yaj'al lahu iwaja. Alhamdulillah alladhi lam yalid wa lam yulad wa lam yakun lahu kufuwan ahad. Alhamdulillah. Nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'gfiruhu wa nasta'hdi. Wa na'udhu billahi min shurur anfusina wa min sayyati a'malina. من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلوات الله وسلام عليه عباد الله قال الله تعالى في الكتابه المبين بعد أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والضحاء والليل إذا سجى ما ودعك ربك وما قلى وبعد Surah Al-Duha is one of the shorter chapters in the Qur'an. Many in this room may have memorized it for sure. You have probably heard it and listened to it, but the story behind it and the framework that it gives us is one that can be described as anything but short. It is so full of meaning and wisdom, subhanAllah, as the entire Qur'an is. But one of the areas of focus that I wanted to talk about briefly today during the khutbah was the framework that this chapter gives us with regards to an action that we should all be engaging in and that for the past two months or so now we've been engaging in hopefully more regularly the action of dua and how a believer engages in calling upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now we've heard many times that when we make dua we should open our hands. We should make dua between Asr and Maghrib. We should make dua on Fridays. We should face the Qibla. We should call upon Allah by His beautiful names. And these are all etiquettes of dua that are well known, that are understood as they should be. But this surah gives us not the front-facing etiquettes of dua, but some of the hidden nuances that a person when they make dua should be engaging in regularly. And this unlocks what we call the spirit or the ruh of the dua itself. Because there are many duas that we make where, as Ibn Ata'illah mentions, a person's dua does not leave their hands. Meaning that they make, they call upon Allah but it doesn't go anywhere. And there are many duas where a person makes them where they feel something in their heart unlock. 
So what is the difference between these two supplications? Well, in this surah, we have to first know the context of when it was revealed and what happened. This surah was actually the first breakthrough of revelation after a period known as Fatratul Wahi. There was a pause in the revelation of the Qur'an. So this means that the Prophet ﷺ was receiving revelation or he had received the first revelation and he had been given this moment, this clarity, this mission, you know, after meditating and reflecting and worshipping Allah and, uh, and by the way he knew how, you know, at tahannuth. Allah sends down Jibreel السلام, to the cave of Hira and he's given that first revelation that we all know. Iqra' bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq, khalaq al-insana min alaq, iqra' wa rabbuka al-akram, alladhi alam bil-qalam, alam al-insana ma lam yalam. And this was the day and the moment that all of history changed. That the final revelation had been given to the last messenger, Al-Habib Al-Mustafa Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. After that point, one would think that there would be a series of revelation that would come down and that would continue to inform the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And it would do it regularly, frequently, so as to give further guidance and to engage with the naysayers, those who disbelieve in the Prophet ﷺ. But something very interesting happened. This period of Fatratul Wahi happened, which is a pause. Now the scholars have a difference of how much time this lasted. Some say that it lasted for a few weeks. Some say that it lasted even for up to a couple of years. But the majority, and the one that seems to have the most accurate reporting, says that it happened for a few months in which the Prophet ﷺ did not hear from Allah through Jibreel. And during this time, after he had been, you know, uh, uh, after he had been identified as a prophet of Allah, there was a, a common mockery and a common criticism that was lobbed against the Prophet ﷺ. That your God called out to you, your God, he revealed to you, and now he's abandoned you. And now he's not there for you. And you're waiting for him to reveal, but he's not revealing. So what kind of God would do this to you? And this type of harassment and this type of spiritual blackmail, we hear about it from the time of the Prophet ﷺ, where they would accuse and attack and try to hurt him by causing a distance between him and Allah. And we see it even till today. That people would say, if your God was truly God, then why would he let you suffer like this? Why would he let this happen? Why would he not just in a moment's notice, in an instant, just rectify everything in your life and in the life of the ummah? Why would he not just fix it immediately? This must be proof that God is truly not your God and that God is on our side. So Allah Ta'ala, in order to break this silence, he sends down this surah. And he says, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim wa wa saja. One of the most powerful openings in the Quran. He swears by the, the daybreak or the point of the day which is the most illuminated. When you go outside and you can't even open your eyes fully because the sun is so bright. Wa wa saja. And by the night when it sits perfectly still. Now when you look in the tafsir and you look and try to unpack what these ayat are referring to, there's a few different explanations and all of them have their own beauty. But I want to focus on one in particular. And that is that in Arabic, 
when two different points are mentioned, it includes everything in between them. So, for example, if I said the east and the west, I'm not only talking about the east and the west, I'm talking about what? Everything in between. If I said morning and evening, I'm not just talking about morning and evening, I'm talking about morning, everything in between, all the way up until evening. And Allah Ta'ala brings that exact metaphor, the morning and the evening, and I can't help as a reader of this surah, but to imagine that as the Prophet ﷺ is waiting for the next revelation, he, peace be upon him, is sitting at his door, or is waiting, and is staring at the sun as it rises, and is watching the sun go across the horizon, and is watching it pass its zenith and go into the afternoon until it sets finally and the night becomes fully still. And that day has passed and no revelation from God has come. The only thing that has come is more pain, more mockery, more harassment, more insults, and potentially for those who have a question in their heart, more questions about God and where he is. And this happened not just for one day or two days or seven days, this happened for weeks and weeks and months that the Prophet ﷺ stood and sat and looked and waited for Allah Ta'ala to give him an answer. And then Allah Ta'ala refers to these moments, وَالضُّحَى وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا سَجَعَ Why does Allah Ta'ala do this? Why does Allah allow people who are waiting for him to wait? Why isn't the answer of Allah immediate? Well, there's a lot of reasons the scholars say. But one of them is in the key of du'a, and that is this. Du'a, one of the hidden layers of du'a is desperation. If a person feels that their du'a will be accepted immediately, if a person feels that when they call upon God, that it will happen right away, that instant gratification, that expectation, will develop a sense of entitlement with God, a, transaction, a transactionality. That I called upon him and why didn't he give it to me? Or where is he? I asked him and he didn't give it to me. In fact, there's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ where he says that every person's dua can be answered except the one that calls upon Allah and then says, where is my answer? That expectation completely sabotages the dua because the person is treating Allah not as the provider and the sustainer and the one who gives, but they're treating Allah like the servant. And this, this uh, disposition in their heart, this position of their heart spiritually, it negates the dua before it even leaves their lips. That Allah does not answer duas when we call upon him. Allah answers duas when he, in his wisdom and knowledge, determined for us that that dua would be at its best and most optimal form in answering. Many of us, I see people around the room who are older, nodding their heads, because this is a reality as you get older. You realize that you made dua for something, and you prayed to Allah so desperately for something, and he didn't give it to you then. And months and weeks and years even go by, and Allah Ta'ala opens up that answer for you, and you realize that Allah's timing is perfect, your timing was not perfect. And even what you asked for, may have been slightly altered. And you realize that Allah's answer was perfect, your solution was not perfect. And when a person goes through this routine enough times with dua, they begin to realize something. That I need to ask Allah not for what I want, but I need to ask Allah for what He wants. 
Oh Allah, give us what you know is best for us. Oh Allah, give it to me when you know it is best for me. The dua al-istikhara is putting your will in the hands of Allah. Oh Allah, if this is good for me, who knows if it's good for you? You know he does. Oh Allah, if this is good for me, then only then give it to me. And if it's not good for me, oh Allah, take it away from me. But who knows if it's bad for you? Only Allah knows. You and I are not the ones making that decision. And I know that a lot of people, when they make a sikhara, they still want to hold on to that decision. They pray a sikhara and they say, ah, you know, I had a dream and it, it didn't come out the way I wanted. No, that could have been too much milk at night. It could have been a lot of things. And I'm not, I'm not negating the reality that dreams could, but in most cases, the answer to your istikhara dua is, in fact, whether or not what you were praying for happened. Oh Allah, if this is good for me, let it happen. And if it doesn't happen, then you walk away. The believer always walks away satisfied. After istikhara, we always walk away pleased. If it happened, alhamdulillah. If it didn't happen, good. Because something better is coming. So, wal-duha wal-layli idha saja is the constant passing of the day into the night over and over again while the Prophet ﷺ sat there waiting. And this furnished within him a feeling of desperation ﷺ. And for us, we have to ask ourselves when we get tested or when things happen that we don't like, whether it's a health condition, whether it's a diagnosis that scares us, whether it's a geopolitical situation that seemingly has no end in sight, whether it's a financial situation that seems to be too much to bear, whether it's being laid off at work and not knowing what the next step is, or anything else in between. We have to realize that if we don't allow ourselves to feel vulnerable, if we don't allow ourselves to feel desperate, our du'as will never raise to Allah. Because desperation is what pushes the du'a. Ibn Atta'illah, he says that if you don't feel desperate, your du'as will never get out of the, the hands of the person making them. May Allah Ta'ala allow us to feel this vulnerability with him. And this vulnerability, this desperation, was described in the next ayah. مَا وَدَّعَكَ رَبُّكَ وَمَا قَلَى The Prophet ﷺ was waiting so long for revelation that he felt as though Allah was upset with him and that he may have abandoned him. And so the next verse pushes that away. That your Lord has not abandoned you, nor is he displeased. Because sometimes when you're at the point of desperation, you wonder if this is a sign of Allah's anger. Is this Allah's wrath? Am I, did I do something wrong? And shaitan, he likes to perpetuate that feeling because a person can start to feel distant from Allah. Oh, Allah's upset with me, Allah's... And they start to develop resentment towards God. So Allah Ta'ala immediately squashes out that possibility. No, this is not the result of Allah's anger or his abandonment. But rather, sometimes you don't get what you want right away, as we talked about, because it may not be the right answer, it may not be the right time, or maybe your relationship with Allah has just become a little bit too casual and too transactional. And the expectation with Allah is a little bit too informal so that there has to be a moment of pause to realize what, who Allah is and who you and I are. Because if I approach Allah 
without etiquette, without love, without manners, without devotion. And I go to Allah and I say, He's Rabbul Alameen, He'll give me anything. It's true. Allah is the Lord of everybody, and it's true. Allah can and He will give anything. But how often do we feel in our own lives taken for granted and that feeling of disrespect and that feeling of being just another resource in someone's life versus being the person that is asked, called upon, that is sought out from a place of love. And when a person who loves you calls upon you and a person who connects with you and feels a deep, intimate relationship with you calls upon you, you will go to the ends of the earth to answer their request. But for the person that you haven't spoken to in years and years, they know nothing about you. They can't seem to pick up the phone when you call them. But when they call you, the expectation is that they will always get an answer. The motivation to answer them is less and less. Now, Allah is not petty. You and I, we're petty. We see a name that we haven't seen in a long time, we'll say, you know what, send them to voicemail. Let them text me. Allah will not do that. But if we feel like our relationship with Allah has become like this, and one question to ask ourselves is, how much do we make dua when we need something, and how much do we thank Allah when we get it? Or do we only raise our hands when we need something, and the moment we get it, we forget about him? We're praying for a job. We got the job. That morning, did we wake up for Fajr? We're begging Allah for a house. We got the house. Are we going to pray Salah in that house? We asked Allah Ta'ala to let us get married. We got married. On the day, did we not pray? On the day of our nikah, did we not offer Salah to Allah? When we get what we want, we become so satisfied and comfortable that we forget the nights and the tears and the hours that we begged Allah for those things. And so just as important as it is to call upon Allah, it's also important to remember him when he gives you what you want. But realizing, that Allah Ta'ala is not distant from anybody. No, he's near. Allah Ta'ala in the Quran, he says, وَإِذَا سَلَكَ عِبَادِي عَنِّي فَإِنِّي قَرِيبٌ that whenever a person asks about God, and he's speaking to the Prophet ﷺ, tell that person, inni qareeb. Ujibu da'an. Allah says, I will answer the call of the one who takes time to call upon me if they call. If they. That's a huge condition. Many people walk around thinking, Allah should just take care of me. But Allah is saying here, idha da'an. If you take time for Allah, then absolutely Allah in his own beautiful way, will make time for you. But if I walk around just expecting, by the virtue of my existence, that Allah should take care of me because I am Abdurrahman, then that entitlement and that arrogance is a big obstruction between me and Allah. May Allah Ta'ala allow us to be humble. Now, in the next few ayat, Allah gives us two major, major keys of understanding du'a. He says, So when you make dua and you're in that point of turning to Allah and you feel perhaps after calling upon him a lot that you're not getting the answer that you're looking for, Allah Ta'ala, he informed the Prophet Sallallahu here of this promise. 
O Messenger of Allah, and by extension all of us, what is coming is going to be infinitely better than what has passed. Another reading of it is the Akhirah is infinitely better than the dunya. As Allah Ta'ala says in, the, in Surah Al-A'la. So then what? We walk now into dua not feeling hopeless but hopeful. When you open your hands, you begin your dua by saying what? Oh Allah, you promised that you would give it to me and that I would be pleased. Oh Allah, do not leave your slave after this conversation empty-handed. Your promise, O oh Allah, is that you would give to me. And I'm not holding you to anything, O oh Allah, besides what you said, O oh Allah. Your generosity and your mercy knows no bounds, Ya Allah. So number one is we have to have optimism. And look at what Allah does, subhanAllah. He reminds us of that optimism, and then he says, okay, you're having some trouble with optimism. Why don't we take a look at your own life? Did you not see that you were an orphan? Did you not see that you were an orphan? And Allah Ta'ala resolved that for you? And you didn't see that you had no hidayah, you had no Islam, you had no guidance. You didn't know where your life was going. And Allah Ta'ala resolved that for you too. He guided you. And you were living your life in a state of need, both personally, financially, spiritually. And Allah Ta'ala took care of you. One of the greatest ways to inspire optimism in your dua is to look at your own life. And this is why the whole piece of dua that's missing is pausing to take a moment to realize how many prayers Allah has answered. If you only pray and then move forward, you will have passed these milestones without taking time to smell the flowers and realize that you prayed to Allah for that very flower that you just walked by. I begged Allah for something, and now in my own heedlessness, I have the audacity to complain about that very thing. I begged Allah for children, and now I'm complaining about those children. I begged Allah for a house, and now I want to redecorate it. It's not nice anymore. I begged Allah for a job, and oh, I can't wait till the weekend. Why don't we take a moment to say, oh Allah, I asked you for this, and you gave it to me. You actually answered my dua. I can't believe it. I was in trouble. I was in a problem. I was feeling uncomfortable, oh Allah, and you heard me, and you gave it to me. And, oh Allah, I don't want to complain about it. I'm just thanking you for it. Every situation that the Prophet ﷺ found himself in, Allah Ta'ala refers to those things and he tells him, was it not the case that you found yourself there? So then what does a believer do? They look at their own life. They see that Allah has in fact answered them. And then as they look forward, they say, you know what? Just as if or as though, I had no clue how Allah was going to resolve my life in this matter. Back then, I looked and there was nothing available. I looked and it wasn't working out. But Allah, a few years fast forward now, Allah took care of that for me. Now I'm sitting in the same position where I feel as if there is no hope. But I have to remind myself that I felt this before. I felt hopeless before. 
and Allah resolved my hopelessness then, why wouldn't he resolve it now? Is he not the same Allah? Is the one I'm calling upon now not the same Allah? He is. The situations that we went through before teach us that we will get through the situations that we're in now, inshallah. So Allah Ta'ala says, and now that you realize this, there are two responsibilities that you have. When you're given something and Allah has solved your problem for you, don't be the person that forgets everyone else who's going through that problem. You went through something, Allah untied the knot for you. You see somebody going through that, don't walk by them and say, ugh, these people. No, realize that you were there. You benefited from Allah's mercy. Now you be a mercy for someone who needs it. This is the spirit of our deen. Don't leave the yatim off to the side. And what are the most inspiring stories we have of the Prophet ﷺ? What do we know about him? He was so kind to the orphan. He was kind to everybody, but he was so kind to the orphan. Why do you think that is? Because does anybody know what it was like to be an orphan in Arabia 1400 years ago more than Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam? We say Muhammad ibn Abdullah and he never met Abdullah. He lost his mother when he was a young child. He lost his grandfather when he was young. He lost his uncle and his wife. He lost everybody. So when he saw people that lost people or felt alone, he didn't look at them with disdain or burden. No, he saw them and said, I see myself in you. I was empty. I was hopeless. I was abandoned. And Allah Ta'ala gave me a place to be and a place to belong. And now that's my job. When Salman al-Farisi came from Persia and had no one to accept him, and he was a Persian, a Persian in the time of Arabia, back in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, is like if a Redskins fan walked in here now. A Persian or a Redskins fan walked into the Cowboy Stadium. A Persian was enemy number one. Salman al-Farisi arrives and the Prophet ﷺ pronounces to everybody, As-Salman huwa min ahl bayti. Salman, the Persian, he's from my house, my family. Because he remembered what it was like to not have a family. And he saw a person, and in that moment he saw himself, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And if there's a person who asks you, don't forget that there was a time when you were asking. Asking you for anything. And in order for you, subhanallah, to spread the optimism about your Lord, don't feel shy to your friends, your family, those you're close to that are going through tough times that you can encourage them and tell them, you know what, I've been where you are and Allah got me here and I know that Allah will get you to where I am, if not better. I've been there and Allah got me through it, he's going to get you through it too. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us the ability to make dua to him with desperation. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us the ability to not just only ask him when we need, but to thank him when he gives. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us the ability to be optimistic and hopeful and to be those who carry on and give on the legacy that he gave us. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik nashadu an la ilaha ila anta nastafuruka wa natubu ilayk.
الحمد لله رب العالمين الصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين. I wanted to share and conclude today with one line from Ibn Atta'illah who was an Egyptian scholar that had a beautiful way of summarizing massive amounts of information in brief statements. And the entire khutbah today is summarized in his one statement. So if you weren't listening and if you were sleeping, good morning. Ibn Atta'illah says that do not be hopeless if when you make intense supplication. He says, Al-ilhahi fi He says, do not let that be a reason that you fall into despair because it's not being answered. You make dua over and over and over and over and over again. He says, don't let yourself fall into despair. Why? He says, فَهُوَ ضَمِنَ لَكَ الْإِجَابَةَ فِيمَا يَخْتَارُهُ لَكَ لَا فِيمَا تَخْتَارُهُ لِنَفْسِكَ Allah has chosen that He will give you that guarantee in your response when He has ordained it for you. Not when you've ordained it for yourself or in what you've asked, not what you want. وَفِي الْوَقْتَ الَّذِي يُرِيدُ لَا فِي الْوَقْتَ الَّذِي تُرِيدُ and in the time that he wants, not in the time that you want. Brothers and sisters, one of the most beautiful ways that a person can come to a peaceful place with their dua is at the end of their dua, after being vulnerable, after being in a place of desperation, after moving to optimism, is when you finish your dua, I always tell everybody that asks, when you finish your dua, always wrap up your dua by saying, Oh Allah, if everything or anything that I've asked for goes against what you know is best for me, oh Allah, give me what is best and ignore everything I've asked for. That trust, subhanAllah, I want you to think about it. That trust is one of the most beautiful ways of submission. And this is what the Prophet ﷺ said when he said, oh Allah, do not leave me in charge of myself for even the blink of an eye. I don't want to be the one who makes my own decisions. I don't want to be the one who has to know everything. I don't want to be the one who has to make all these plans. Oh Allah, just give me what you know is best for me and allow my du'as to be a way to connect me with you. We ask Allah Ta'ala to accept from us. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to be those who call upon him regularly. We ask Allah Ta'ala to forgive us of our sins. We ask Allah Ta'ala to bring us closer to him and allow us to constantly be on the path of the straight path, Ya Rabbil Alameen. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give shifat to everybody who is sick, including our sister who is, uh, 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 we have a, a request here, Qamar Aslam. Uh, who's having a heart procedure tomorrow, and then also the mother of my dear friend and one of our students here at the seminary, Brother Ashadib, uh, his mother begins her chemo, inshallah, I believe today or tomorrow. So may Allah Ta'ala give them shifa. And anyone else who has any sickness in their family or in, in their friend uh, uh, circle, may Allah Ta'ala give them shifa, after which there is no sickness, Ya Rab. And anyone who has passed away, may Allah Ta'ala give them jannah to firdaus al-a'la and make them the neighbor of the Prophet and allow the Prophet to enter them into paradise by his own hand. And we ask Allah Ta'ala to uplift the oppression that we're seeing across the ummah. We're asking Allah Ta'ala to take away the pain that the 
Ummah of Muhammad is feeling. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow our calls to him and our pain and our sadness and our tears to reach him so that the pain that the Ummah of his Habib is feeling is uplifted. Ya Arhamar Rahimin. Inna Allaha wa malaikatahu yusalluna ala nabi Ya ayuhaladheen amnu sallu alayhi wa sallimu taslima Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ala ali Muhammad kama sallayta ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim fil alameen innaka hamidun majeed Allahumma barak ala Muhammadin wa ala ali Muhammad kama barakta ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim fil alameen innaka hamidun majeed inna Allaha ya'mur bil adli wal ihsan وَإِتَاءِ ذِي الْقُرْبَى وَيَنْهَى عَنِ الْفَحْشَاءِ وَالْمُنْكَرِ وَالْبَغِيِ يَعِذُكُمْ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَذَكَّرُونَ أَقِيمُ الصَّلَح